1: Welcome to Amplify. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Your hosts are Ken Roshan and Gisela Gonzalez. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Gisela.
2: All right, welcome to Amplified Radio Show. I'm Ken Roshan,
1: and Gisella Gonzalez.
2: So we're going to start off the show just by thanking a couple people. First of all, Kim Brandon for from Absolute Entertainment and Bark Baltimore for setting up this amazing studio for us. I wish you guys could come in and see this; it's beautiful. We have also the American Photography Association that helped inspire the theme of this show. CEO of Space International for actually helping us connect with our guest and Cheryl Snap Connor from Forbes, who will be our guest. And we have some wedding theme organizations, ISIS, the International Society of Event Specialists, The Knot, and Wedding Wire, as well as NACE. We have some magazines, Perfect Wedding Guide and Wedding 411. And we have some wedding organizations, the Planner Suite, as well as uh, our lovely Voice of America. Thank you so much to Jeff, Robert, and Ryan for giving us this opportunity to spread the love, amplify great leadership, and make a difference in the world. And to the people that actually Put our garments together swag dog we are so appreciative of them being a uh uniform and promotional sponsor for us so cheryl are you there sure i'm so excited this is the first show and you're our first guest wow i'm honored And no pressure, but if you mess this up, we get canceled, and we will not be able to ever have another show.
0: Well, let's uh, (laughs) not mess up.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, first of all, we had to give you the first slot because you probably made the biggest difference for the Umbrella Syndicate. The Umbrella Syndicate's been around for... We just celebrated our four-year anniversary this uh, September 25th, and when we look back at the beginnings, meaning September 25th, 2011, we had two likes on Facebook. We did our very first event, and it was... One of those things you call a dream that you hope will become a reality someday. And we did 330 events the first year. And I think about a year ago, roughly, I met you for the first time, Cheryl, at CEO Space International. That's right. And I had the pleasure of sitting down at uh, one of the uh, breakfast or lunch table uh, meetings. And you you were a faculty member then, and you're still a faculty member in CEO Space. And we have to obviously acknowledge Bernie and September Dorman for... Not only being visionaries to create CO Space International, but for the actual reason we know each other. I don't think there's another way we could actually give credit to the fact that we know each other.
0: And I'm grateful that we do.
2: Yes, same here. So um, we have uh, three segments. In the first segment, we're going to uh, focus a little bit more on, I guess, CEO Space, uh, what you do at Forbes, and sorry, I think there's a phone call in the, uh, in the <laughs> studio, but uh, we're going to focus a little bit on those two items, and then we're going to bring in the theme of the show, which is the freedom to capture love. So first of all, um, how long have you been with CEO Space? Tell, tell the audience a little bit about why you chose them and how you became affiliated with them and what they you are. Know.
0: Uh, CEO Space is a growth forum for entrepreneurs, and they actually chose me more than I chose them. I wasn't familiar with what they were, but I was speaking at a conference that the founder, Bernie Dorman, was also speaking at. I loved the evening keynote he gave so much that I wanted to write about him, got acquainted. He told me I had to be there. He's right. I did. I went in December of 2014, and I guess as you'd say, the rest is history.
2: So I met you at actually the first one you went to.
0: Exactly. You did.
2: Oh, that's so cool. Okay. And uh, how about Forbes? How long have you been with Forbes? And tell me of some of the excitement you've had there.
0: Well, you know, I am a communicator by trade because I own a public relations company, Snap PR, in Salt Lake City. I became a contributor to the Entrepreneur's Channel, let's see, it's been three and a half years plus a little, nearly four years I've been contributing there. And I started to do that, honestly, because I wanted to... make a point to some of my clients that getting that opportunity to get out in a forum like that and communicate your vision, your mission, the things you stand for, the things that matter, what an opportunity, and I felt like my, my clients were so intimidated by that masthead that they'd get timorous, they wouldn't talk about the issues that really mattered, but I guess um, boldness counts, and we've certainly been there. It's been quite the ride over the past several years.
2: Well, I will say boldness definitely counts because when you called me after, I guess, many conversations of wanting to interview me, I I think you might have been caught a little off guard when I said, hey, before we talk about what might be the, the message, which is social media and the power of social media and how viral campaigns really change uh, the PR as well as the impact in the world, I said, can I tell you this story about something that just happened to me? And you said, sure. And, and I said, just give me five minutes to tell the story because it's going to take about five minutes. And it was really like 45 minutes later, <laughs> you said, I think we have an article here.
0: I so, think that's our story. <laughs> it was certainly a bigger story than the theme of expanding to social media, I believed.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if, if we could just uh, segue to that a little bit. Uh, tell me how you find a story that is really going to be relevant and then how the story that we actually created together, how you were able to tell it that was gonna be such a big story.
0: You know, the interesting aspect of the stories you tell in a publication that speaks to entrepreneurs is that most people forget it's for an audience of entrepreneurs. You are speaking to them. You need to provide them with something of interest and benefit. It's not about you. And if I could only get that message through to the hundreds, thousands of people who pitch me on a story, and not that they're not interesting stories, but for the most part, most of the things I'm pitched with have no applicability to other entrepreneurs. There's know what's in it for them. So that's the biggest thing. And and certainly you have a story, you had a story, and there is much that so many people can learn from it. That hit my button right there. My instinct said this is something that people, this is a negotiation that needs to happen. It's a dialogue that needs to start. We can get it started.
2: And, and I really appreciate that because uh, as I said in the beginning of the program, you really put us on the map. I think when you picked up the story, I had told you that we had 33,000 uh, views, a reach on Facebook in a 24-hour period on an album that was in question. And so that our audience kind of gets an idea of what the background of the freedom to capture love is. It's really that there are clauses in certain contracts that allow a photographer to not only have exclusivity, but to actually take over the event from an image standpoint and thereby uh, potentially prevent other images or uh, other possibilities of people showing the bride and groom their vantage point, their viewpoint, whether they're using a professional camera or not. And in doing probably 2,500 weddings in my life, uh, more from the entertainment side, and then uh, doing photography, social media, simply from a standpoint of marketing my entertainment company, which is about 200 events. This was the first case in which that clause was made uh, aware to me. I had heard of a clause before, but I'd never heard it exercised or that it was really, applicable to me. So I'm not sure if that really leads to a question or a dialogue, but you, you actually had to pay a pretty dear price, and I called and apologized to you because you had taken a, a three-day weekend and defended an article that if you could talk about the numbers uh, that the, num- the article generated, but also kind of what your opinion was based on uh, that feedback and the story itself. You
0: know, what an interesting experience. I had a feeling that a lot of people would be interested in this dialogue because I, I put myself in the shoes of a bride and groom. You choose a photographer, you sign a contract, you go forward. It would not occur to me that a clause that says I am the primary photography vendor or I'm the official show photographer would mean that other images are prohibited or that I could even be in violation of contract if that were to happen. That's bad news. I I mean, I would be a client. I would not expect that I would need to be an expert in that kind of contract negotiation to go forward with my wedding and not suddenly find myself in the middle of a problem. I don't think anybody would want that. So um, I felt that that was important, that in the realm of online media, this is only becoming a bigger issue, not smaller. Social media is not going to go away. We need to think these things through. We need to be supportive, I would say, on all sides of the clients who are not aware if they've stepped in the middle of a hornet's nest. And boy, did we step into one. Boy, did I step in one. 63,000 people... Viewed that article, and I'd say close to 300 comments occurred. There were com- definitely, definitely feelings on this.
2: How does that compare to a normal article? You had said that a uh, normal
0: article. Um, if if an article achieves 3,000 views in 24 hours, that's generally considered a a good article, a good outcome. So I, actually, this was the sixth most read article on all of Forbes. Forbes that it. Secure 75 million-plus readers a month. Sixth most-read article. So definitely it inspired some attention.
2: Well, I had a couple of epiphanies uh, probably since this article has happened, and we haven't talked for a couple weeks. So I want to share one with you. Someone had said uh, – I know you know the first part of this, but uh, you may not know the second part. So the first part was, how would you feel, Ken, if – the photographer brought a DJ system in and all of a sudden started playing music and that they had this gigantic sound system and it actually impeded you from doing your job. And my logical response to that was, if the bride and groom wanted the photographer to play music, then that would be my customer service response to them being happy and that I would actually be okay with it because technically I was getting paid in contract not to perform at that point. The second part, which is the new part here, is... Can you imagine if a cake company or a DJ company or any company that's providing service to a wedding said, I would like to exercise a clause. And that clause is that no other sound can happen at an event because I'm a DJ. So, in other words, if they say, Well, we'd like to bring a a trio in uh, to do the ceremony, or we'd like to bring a, a jazz trio in to do the cocktail, and I say, Absolutely not. That's against. My contract, my clause says there cannot be any other sound at this event. And the reason I share that is I really have been thinking about how do I put myself in the place of the photographer who has this clause? Because as you know, I, I, I love photography. I actually love photographers. And I actually get some of my revenue, uh, wedding referrals from photographers. So there's, there's all kinds of aspects. In fact, I have 17 photographers that I actually show their work at our office. And people are often surprised. They say, is that your work? And I say, no, that's not my work. This is actually the work of the people that we work with in the wedding industry. So not one photo at our Absolute Entertainment headquarters is a photo that's done by the Umbrella Syndicate. So that really proves the point, I think, that we are an advocate for photographers. We're an advocate for marketing for photographers. We're an advocate for being a partner for photographers. And the irony of this whole thing is this particular photographer did not look at the marketing value that we bring. Our Today, we have 47,000 People reached. We have forty nine hundred people talking about our page, and I had a photographer the other day say, "You know what? It was it's just because of Forbes that you have really good stats." And I think you've seen our stats, and you've you've seen our talking about it. It pretty much is consistently right around four or five thousand people a day talk about our page. So I know that was wow. a very long. I know that was a very long explanation, but that epiphany speaks to how uh, confused people are, specifically uh, these photographers that were upset about this infringement or this clause actually protecting them or it being violated because there's one thing for a photographer to be hired at the event and another photographer to be hired and the bride and groom don't tell the photographer. And next thing you know, you got two photographers competing for images and they're trying to, uh, <clears throat> basically sabotage each other's success to a degree or compete for who's going to get the, uh, the referrals. But I'm a marketing company. I'm a social media guy and I'm trying to actually help everyone that actually contributed to the event. And as I had shared to you before, If everyone at the event is contributing to the event, they should be allowed to take pictures of what they contributed to the event, i.e. created at the event. And a photographer, although they are artists and they are creators after the event, they are the one vendor that is actually there just to actually capture. The word capture is a word that is utilized with iPhones. It's utilized with really any camera. And I've had people tell me when I take a picture and it's a gorgeous picture, they say, oh my gosh, your camera takes great pictures. And I said, Wow, you know your mouth makes very nice compliments, and (laughs) it's my (laughs) way. Yeah, so it's really my way of saying that there's a human behind there's a human behind the uh, the DJ system. I had a uh, when I did my event this last weekend. I've I've been on quite a string. I got a, a nice tip this past weekend, and the lady was going up the stairs, and she said my gosh, DJing's really changed. All you have to do is, you know, hit the computer button and you're done. And I said, oh, I assure you, those other DJ tables that are on both sides of the computer are actually how I mix and all this stuff. And she goes, well, still, you did a good job. And I was like, thank you. But but understand how to use technology. I mean, that's like saying that I bought this radio studio and I have four mics and I have a mixing board. And when we do a great show that someone comes in our studio and go, my gosh, your studio does really great shows.
0: Well, in all of this, I felt so much empathy for the bride and groom, and in fact, that's why I stubbornly refused ever to go there or to identify the ones that were in the particular instance that sparked the story is that think of them, they're the customer. And while there may be a situation where the bride and groom doesn't want anyone else, I'm thinking if somebody's so famous that the first image is going to be sold to a magazine. Well, yes, if that's their desire, that's a right they would vigorously want to protect and maintain. But, um, Short of that, I think that there is such a need for communication. And of course, I would say that. That's my theme. That's my occupation. But whatever the desires of that customer are, they should be thought through and communicated explicitly in advance so that there aren't going to be any problems that impede the customer service or the experience of that client, that bride and groom, during or after the event. They should not have to be worrying about this.
2: Exactly. And I I actually want to just emphasize that you and I really resonated with the fact that the bride and groom are the ones spending one year and a lot of money. I mean, we're talking twenty thousand to sixty or eighty thousand dollars are in a typical wedding. And they should be the ones that are actually controlling who is going to be doing what. So we're gonna take a break real quick, we're gonna come back with the wedding lawyer.
1: on the Voice America Sports Network. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Amplify. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. We also would love to hear from you via email to info at UmbrellaSyndicate.com. Now back to Amplify.
2: All right. Welcome back. This is Ken. Gisela Gonzalez. And we have Rob and Cheryl, and I'm going to bring Rob on in a second. Uh, Our closing comment in the first segment, I'm not sure if you were listening, Rob, was that uh, I was voicing that the bride and groom have a a serious investment of time and money and that I, as a vendor, put them as the boss and whatever they want, they get. So uh, thank you so much for coming on our program. And I met you recently at the Wedding MBA in Las Vegas, and I feel like it was a godsend because it was roughly a week or two before that the Forbes article was unleashed into the world and 63,000, not just views, but, um, controversy. And I come into your, uh, presentation and you have this huge room of people listening to you. And I said, is he actually talking about what I think he's talking about? And it was actually the, the clause. It was the, uh, the, the, the condition that photographers can exercise this clause. And so I'll actually turn this over to you just to introduce yourself. And I really appreciate you coming on the program.
4: Thanks for having me, Ken. I, r- I really appreciate you having me on. And it was actually it was serendipity that we saw each other at Wedding MBA. Just happened to be speaking on that topic. But um, but yeah. So, um, in terms of what, what you, picking up where we left off, you're absolutely right. I, I say that the client is, I said the king of the castle, so to speak. Um, they can control what photos are taken at their event because they're the ones that have a year invested in all the money invested in and, and, and case law force that. Um, So just for the fact that a baker bakes a cake doesn't mean that they can go to the event and take the pictures. The final say-so is with the client, right? Right. um, Right. So following the the having the right to dictate what photos are taken, the client can say, look, I'm going to give the principal photographer the exclusive right to take these photos. Um, Now, There's not just one exclusivity clause. There's not just one clause that prevents the people from taking pictures. There's, I mean, it's not like there's there's probably boilerplate, but it's going to depend on what each individual contract says. But in general, right? What these things are doing, what these clauses are doing, is saying principal photographer is the is the exclusive professional photographer for the event. Okay, and the reason that photographers for the most part, one fact, I don't think is, is maybe it's not necessarily nefarious. We'll get to whether or not something's illegal versus whether something is a good business decision, which I think you already hit that on the nose. But, um, the purpose on the photographer side is that they're not just there to capture the event. They make money off the later sale of these pictures, right? So any other pictures, theoretically, right? And I've got theoretically in quotations, <laughs> um, other people taking pictures is going to take money out of their future earnings out of their, out of their pocket for selling these pictures. Right. That's the policy rationale behind the photographer wanting that.
2: Right. And brides and grooms at least have told me that they're uh, moving further away from print photos as well as albums, because it really is a digital age. It's really a social media age. And so I can understand that photographers feel this in the pocket and, my heart goes out to them, as I stated before in the first segment. I am a huge adv- advocate for photographers. In fact, I, I want to speak at the photography associations to teach them how to market better so they can actually get more business from the events they're doing. I, uh, I wanted to say that with the exclusivity clause, I'm not, I'm not an advocate of it, but I'm more of a, a person that's trying to make sure this clause is very informed, for the client because if a client says they read the exclusivity clause and they're comfortable with it and they like it, then that's what is going back to the customer service model I have which is the client is always right or they are gonna they get what they want. So if they're understanding the clause, I don't think most brides and grooms understand the implications of this clause which is stating, in my opinion, that family members can't bring professional equipment to the event if they're a professional photographer and they're doing it as a quote-unquote friendly gift. Uh,
4: well, I mean, and again all these things, it's, it's It's a gray area, but in that instance where there is a principal photographer with an exclusivity clause, that's not going to deal, that, that is not going to affect whether or not grandma can take her iPhone out and take a picture. We're talking about professional quality pictures competing with the principal photographer's professional quality pictures. So when Uncle Joe comes with a professional camera, he theoretically, again, in quotation marks, is potentially taking money out of that photographer's pocket. So I would like to reiterate what you have said and what I believe Cheryl said at the beginning. All of this stuff needs to be taken care of at the time that the contract is signed to explanations of exactly what the exclusivity clause means and how it would take effect, right? That's right. the most important part, right? Cause who, I don't think any, at least I hope not, any photographer is going to sue the client because the DJ came there and took professional quality pictures because that would be their only course of action. And, and, and so all these things need to get taken care of at the beginning. And I stress that at, when you saw me at the wedding, the NBA, I stress that, guys, you know, come on. Like, we, you catch more flaws with honey, you know what I mean?
2: Yes, yeah, so actually, would you go a little more into uh, that implication that the clause is between the client and the principal photographer and how that does affect other people?
4: Sure, absolutely. So, okay, right, so for somebody to tell somebody else to do something, there has to be some type of legal right or obligation that gives them that ability. So if, if the principal photographer comes to the DJ who's taking professional style quality, you know, pictures, there's no privity of contract between those two people. There's no obligation the DJ has to that principal photographer. All the privity of contract, all the obligations, and all the rights then between the client and the principal photographer and the client and that that vendor that's taking the professional photos. So, it, it law as far as I'm as far as I understand it is not going to support a principal photographer walking up to anyone else with a camera and kicking them out of it. They can it wouldn't be the, within their legal rights to say I'm leaving to the bride because the bride or groom is in material breach. But there's no issue in terms of like you know. Is, the beef is not between the photographers. The beef is going to be between the client and the photographers, if that makes any sense. There has to be some type of conservative contract.
2: Yes, and uh, the reason this, uh, the viral component happened on Facebook initially and, and then followed suit on Forbes was that the photographers actually getting angry with me that I was causing... A potential lawsuit between the photographer and the client, and I said, I wasn't privy to any of this, and i I, I know that there's nothing that actually documents this, but I, I have a track record of seven hundred five star reviews on wedding wire. I'm not a person that says customer service is not important or reviews are not important or relationships are not important they They all fuel you know the future of a business so i I, I certainly would have stopped shooting immediately had the photographer said to me hey, this is an exclusivity uh, contract with the bride and groom. The bride and groom should have told you you can't photograph. But I had permission, uh, admittedly verbal permission, at the last meeting that we had to go over everything. I always say, okay, I'm going to be giving you some pictures the next year on Facebook. I just want to make sure you have talked to the photographer. And that that was a a green light. And if you think about it from a logical standpoint, why would I go to an event over and over again and try and offend a, a, a fellow vendor That's going to either one, trash me on social media, which is dangerous by itself, or two, just lose a referral source. So uh, what I do, and I was in a precarious position because I have a very complex role at at a wedding. I am obviously hired as a DJ, but in the role of my company as a small company, I'm actually best suited for the social media and the marketing. And so without those photos going the next day, there is no relevance to what we did that weekend. And I've been told even by people like yourself, hey, all you need to do is really request the photos from a photographer. And I had shared with you that it's almost like a lotto whether you're going to get that that photo or a photo that you'd even want from a photographer. And it's it's really because they're not there to work for you. They're there to work for the bride and groom. And that's understood. That's why I took it upon myself to say, I'm not going to take an iPhone and take a very bad picture. I'm a very qualified uh, artist, I want to take a, pictures with good quality equipment. I don't want to take the same shots as a photographer, but I do need to take shots of people that are enjoying themselves because my primary selling point at an event is that people have a good time and they stay. Those are the two ways people know that I did my job. And I don't know another way to do that with than without a camera. And since everyone has a camera this, these days, it's not really a fair statement to say that, uh, this exclusivity clause should prevent cameras. Like it should prevent DJ systems. Like it should prevent cakes. I, I promise you that anyone that was going to contribute to them to the event, if the bride and groom say, I would like it, then that's something that's a sign that it's a, it's a go and not, and not something that's going to be forbidden.
4: Right. Well, I mean, there's a difference between, like, what ultimately would be beneficial for everyone and what ultimately was decided between adults and a contract, right? Right. So, yes. Um, the, the client giving you the green light to take pictures only means that that client is more than likely a material breach of the contract that he or she signed with that principal photographer. So there's a, don't, I mean, like, yeah, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Like, I mean, I think it's better if, if everybody's on board, takes pictures and everybody's happy, you know, but you know, the the law does not prevent people from contracting to prevent, you know, DJ Ken from taking professional pictures, even though that might not be the best ultimately
2: for everybody. Right, and, I, and I'm going to actually share one more thing that's a possibility because I don't want this to uh, be painting anyone to be the bad person. But it is possible that the client signed an agreement they weren't aware of this clause. And, I mean, if I had a clause that actually would hurt my client, I don't think that'd be one of my selling points in my clothes. Like this I clause. this clause, with that. I, yeah. I definitely. Well, agree
0: I that. mean, now, I would look, look at that clause... Of, if I were a bride, I would just say, okay, that means I can't have another protection of a selling photos. But I wouldn't consider that a breach.
4: Well, the issue is that the, the exclusivity is not uncommon. They're extremely... I've written hundreds of contracts. They're very common. And from my... And this is anecdotal, because I don't work with clients. I work with vendors. But right. anecdotally, I can tell you that um, most... Clients know that there are what's called set photographers that, say, the baker or, say, the DJ hires. Not necessarily the baker or the DJ, but they hire somebody to come in. And these these exclusivity clauses deal mostly with those, okay? Because generally the DJ is not a professional photographer as well, right? So right. the exclusivity clause is generally meant to cover that, it, that instance. Okay. And it, you know, but again, education vendors should educate, and, and you catch more flowers with honey. The wedding community is small usually in, in parts of town, and, and if you want to get referrals from the from the, the photographer, the vehicle cool DJ, and vice versa. Well,
2: I, I think you can appreciate if you have uh, some social media prowess, i.e., you're an influencer on social media, that, that you're you're actually hurting yourself if you don't bring a camera to an event. And if you're going to do things in a very untimely fashion, i.e. photographers, generally speaking, take a bit of time to get the photos done. They're artists. Their component of doing the photography is to create something absolutely gorgeous, which takes a tremendous amount of time. I don't take anything away from them. That's, that's a lot of work. In fact, that's why I don't want to be a wedding (laughs) photographer. It's just too much work. And, uh, my my point is, if from a photography, I mean, from a social media standpoint, the people that are taking pictures and doing Instagram or posting photos next day, that is really more of a marketing aspect. And if you think about my entertainment company giving a shout out to the location, giving a shout out to the cake company, giving a shout out to the photographer, to the videographer, to everyone that was part of the event, that would be a marketing cue. And I was accused by the photographers for taking advantage of what was considered a marketing opportunity. And... I don't know anything that a business does when they're doing business jargon on social media that isn't considered marketing opportunity. Like if, if you're going to go on Facebook or Twitter or any other uh, format, whether it's mm-hmm. Pinterest, you are marketing your company the second you post. And you're marketing either poorly or you're marketing it beautifully or, or uh, ingenious. And what I'm trying to do when I do the event the next day and get these high viral campaigns is I'm trying to have everyone that was part of that event win. And there was nothing in that album that stated that I was either, one, the principal photographer, or two, that the photographer was not indeed that particular photographer. And this this was a very dramatic situation. I have really uh, mixed feelings about it because not, I obviously did not want to cause this type of drama. I'm not a, that type of person. But on the other side of the coin, it really brought an opportunity to me to make sure this doesn't happen again. This is not something I want to go through again. This is not something I want anyone to go through. And, and you know I really don't want to have to go through this is the bride and groom. The bride and groom are paying not only a small fortune, but this is the biggest day of their life save them having children. So if they haven't had children yet, this is the biggest day of their life. And I can't imagine any photographer, but that clause actually states that. I mean, we read the clause that the photographer has or photographers have that say, if you have another photographer there, we can walk. Or we can find you. And that is something that I just don't, I, I see why you want to have an exclusivity clause in a contract. I get that. But it's from a photography standpoint, not from a marketing standpoint, not from a social media standpoint. And and that gets really dangerous when you say, this company is there providing a service as well and they cannot show off how good they did at the event with a camera, which is the only way you can actually show that you did your job. I can't, I can't throw a CD at social media and say, hey, I played this CD or... Uh, this computer here that I, I played music off, it really did a great job. And, and not show a picture of the computer or the CD. I mean, it's just, it's really a crazy conversation. Did I go too right. long?
4: <laughs> no, no. That's, but like, look, like, like, look, and, and, I, and I feel you on that. And that makes complete sense. When there is a exclusivity clause, then the, then all the parties have to go through that conduit that is the principal photographer, whether it's right or wrong. And I'm, I'm not, and I'm not passing that judgment on that. But in your case, in this case, on the Forbes magazine article, I think that, the, the, I mean, it's, that's just an unfortunate event, and it is the, the clients that have that have lost out. But you know, it's like again, there's a difference between what's best, and obviously, you putting stuff the next day with all of your followers and being a PR wizard. It's best for all that you can do that, but just, I mean,
2: some people don't.
4: <laughs> for some
2: reason, but and, and actually, uh, because the story went rather viral, the uh, three of the next four weddings I had, the bride and groom said, "Yes, you can go ahead and do that." I said, "Would you mind checking with the photographer one more time?" And I guess the photographer Googled me, or they had heard about the Forbes article, and they wrote the bride and groom and said, "Adamantly not. Uh, he cannot photograph at the event. Everyone else can." So then, the exclusivity uh, clause actually became a Ken Rochon exclusivity clause. Like it wasn't about. Go ahead, Giselle.
1: I have a question on that one. Um, so, because that, we, we spoke about taking business from one another by doing this and doing that, correct? Um, when we are actually banned from doing our job, uh, is that, how does that implicate uh, with the other vendors? Perhaps, uh, if Ken Roshan cannot
0: shoot at that, after the bride and groom say yes, and they go and, and they say no... We, Everybody else can do it except him. Is there anything that it's we
1: we, we could um, kind of find out on a legal standpoint? If Is that something that it should be happening? It can be happening? There's anything in a legal standpoint that it, it shouldn't be preventing us to do that?
2: And, and if I, no, if I can I mean, read... I mean, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, did you get, understand that question? Because I was just wondering if you did. I, I did. Thank okay. you. Um, so... There's, I
4: mean, unless it's being done in violation of some federal or or, or state discrimination statute, I for religious reasons or for ethnic reasons that you're the one that's being singled out, people that are adults can contract any way they like, and if they and they if they like to prevent, can respond from photographing, they can do that. I think Everybody that's the, end, the end, end of our second. Hey, Rob,
2: now. hang on for the third.
0: Okay.
1: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is Amplify. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. We also would love to hear from you via email to info at umbrella syndicate.com now back to amplify
2: all right we are back for the third and final segment and what a nice segue we had for that second segment that uh that finish was the inexperience of a brand new radio i guess host talking about uh, that music coming in and saying, wow, that's the end of the second segment. So, Rob, thanks for hanging in there. Uh, remember I told you that you'd be earned for one segment or two? Well, I guess it's one and a third or something like that. So, um, Cheryl, you'd actually asked a question on the break. Why don't we bring that in and then uh, we'll kind of close up the uh, conversation. And I also, Rob, want to have you have an opportunity to not only have people know how to get a hold of you, but to share a story you have that uh, is, is something that kind of supports the freedom to capture. All right?
0: So my question was, is there an issue of tortuous interference? Because I've heard claims or um, situations both ways that if any vendor is interfering with another vendor's right to do business, that in either direction, that could be a cause for a legal claim that people have to be careful of.
4: Right. So, okay. Um, And let me just put the disclaimer out there that I'm not giving legal advice. I don't want anybody to mistake this for legal advice because I could be, you know, wrong as, next, as, a, as a next guy, but generally the 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 cause of action for torch interference is very particular, and there are several elements that have to be met. And within the within the the discussion that we've had with regard to the to the to, to, to the DJ gate, I, in my opinion, you know, I, I'm not seeing tortious interference. It's just not there. Um, but that means that some. That does not mean that some other court couldn't find it. I just highly doubt it, and I wouldn't take that case.
0: And, and right. the
4: reason is because it's just, it's, you know, that, yeah, I'll
2: just leave it at that. All right, Rob. So to have a little bit of fun now with, uh, I guess, your profession and what you're passionate about, why don't you talk about why you got into the, the field and how you became known as the a wedding lawyer that people can go to? Because you're, you're really sought after in the wedding community and the industry. So t- tell me uh, how, how you can help wedding vendors.
4: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. No, um, I um, Several years ago, I dated a wedding photographer and I agreed her contract. And then I kind of got known within the photography community in Atlanta. And then from there, it grew out to everybody DJs, venues, the whole thing. And so, um, and from there, I got on the speaking circuit within the wedding industry and I started um, a website called weddingindustrylaw.com which is basically a, a news and education source that in, on topics just like the ones we're talking about today. And I just enjoy it. These are things that, you know, these are issues that are specific to, to, to the wedding industry and the event industry, and I, I really enjoy going through them and, and, and taking these cases to, into litigation or doing the contract. It's, it's fun. It's fun stuff.
2: Well, you have such an important role. I, I wouldn't have known how important this role was until I was in the midst of it. And I, I want to compliment you that the reason you're invited to the show is the it wasn't because you had one stance or the other It was the way you carried yourself on the stage and gave a really unbiased information to an audience that really not only needed to hear this but they were very engaged with you you were one of the best speakers that went in wedding mba and i can see why you're so successful uh giving legal advice and i just want to thank you one for being on the show i hope that we can get you on a future show because i know this is one segment and there's so much more we can talk about Why don't you let people know how they can reach you?
4: Um, You can reach me just by going to Um, My All my contact information is there, and that would be the easiest way.
2: Okay. So, Rob, you've been amplified, and we are happy to help you with your social media and any events that you have so that we can let more people know how you can help them. Thanks a lot for being here. here. Thank Thank you, Rob.
1: Thanks, Ken.
4: Thank you, guys. Bye-bye.
2: Okay, Cheryl, so we had some uh, questions for you that I was saving really for the uh, the end segment, and we call it kind of the wit and wisdom and the gold nuggets. Uh, what what uh, kept you going to pursue your vision and dream? I, I think uh, anyone that is at the top of their game, they've had these obstacles and they've had these these days where they had to question how much they really wanted to do what they're doing. So, first of all, what what drove you to actually get into the the PR game and specifically to go for the gusto and work for a company as big as Forbes?
0: You know, I got into PR because uh, it was by fortunate accident. I've always loved writing, and in fact, it was not my major course of study. Most people don't know that. But I had a minor in English, and it was just the way my career went. I, by fortunate accident, got into a tech company who I thought needed a documentation writer. They ended up interviewing me for the PR department, and it was for a need that still exists today. Companies have a hard time telling their stories, and in the tech industry in particular, if you don't know how to tell your story, nobody's going to be able to buy the stuff. It's got to be I, translated into English. It's got to be made inter- interesting. And so I guess you could say I was bought into thought leadership and was thought leadership before the, co- the phrase had even been coined.
2: Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. And what, yeah. are, what are you working on right now that is uh, exciting you the most?
0: You know, I'm working on Content University. That is a program that uh, actually the editor who gave me that opportunity at Forbes joined my team in January. We created Content University to teach executives how to tell their stories better, how to recognize what is a good story, what to do with it, and how that influences your business. And we're having a blast. We're developing it as an online program. We're also teaching it live, and we're creating an awful lot of good communicators out of this which makes my day
2: i want to play that sounds fun <laughs> yes definitely. so uh, what are the business uh, and communication trends you're seeing right now
0: right now every company should recognize that they are their own best publisher that they should not rely on the reporters to get their story straight or to even have room to hear them out fully And I think you and I have both seen the sum of that, that you can't believe everything you see in the press, but communicate yourself and do it with authenticity. Let people see directly from you what your vision is, what your mission is. Otherwise, if somebody shoots arrows, where does that land? If you've never got on the record with what you really stand for, what are people to assume? So I think that's that's a big trend.
2: So since we're both faculty members are in CEO space and you have the, the PR expertise, what would you tell our audience from a PR standpoint? What, what's their message? Uh, you know, CEO space is next week and I don't think it's too late to sign up for it, but uh, I, I, I have my things I would say, but I'm going to turn it over to you. What would you say about CEO space from a PR standpoint that people would want to hear?
0: I would say that my time with CEO space has influenced my own business more than perhaps anything else that I've done. The faculty there are amazing. In fact, I kind of coined the term that I call them, the Extraordinary League of Freakishly Talented People, that it's impossible to be in the presence of these people and to not have spontaneous implosion occur. That They've never been in that group, and something magnificent hasn't happened. You don't know in advance what it's going to be, but the connections are just profound. The wisdom is profound. It's game-changing.
2: And they have about 30... plus faculty members at any given forum, correct?
0: At any given forum and yeah. private time with those individuals. That's just not something you're going to find through any other location.
2: At, at a rate of roughly four and a half hours a day, private time. That's correct. So if you had a problem in business and you were stuck and you want to take your business to the next level, CO Space is a sure bet that you could solve the problem and also not only solve the problem but find new problems that could be solved because you're going to be done with that problem probably the first day so you have a
0: community of experts around you all willing to help
2: yeah and these faculty members have uh, in most ways made it already and this is their way of giving back this is their uh, way of feeling the purpose of their wisdom would you agree
0: well, not only would I agree, I would mention that the chairman of my company, Harry Lay, is a fellow faculty member of CEO Space. How would I, as a PR specialist, gain the expertise of somebody who's raised a professional services company to $100 million, and mm-hmm. yet we have that. That kind of resource is now, uh, that person is my chairman and is able to guide every decision that i make from that perspective and that i don't know where else you would find that opportunity it's invaluable to me
2: well you're going to be able to give as many gold nuggets as you want but i'd like to give one gold nugget right now about not only co space but about the approach to co space like experiences which is if i had only gone to co space in december and i met you for an hour and a half which is probably a good estimate of time out of the mm-hmm. entire week i spent probably an hour and a half with you and the chance of us doing something as big as this radio program or the article, I would say is pretty close to 1% or zero. Because it was one frequency. Yeah, it's one frequency. So a lot of people, when they play the game of let's be as big as we can, they do the, I'll throw my hat in one time. And if my hat gets destroyed, then I'm out of the game. Instead of looking at why did the hat get destroyed? Or how do I make sure whatever I'm doing is going to actually turn into something successful. And I think it was really our fourth or fifth frequency, i.e. encounter, that we had really good conversations that led to, hey, let's start working together. Let's communicate on a regular basis. And I've just been blown away by the fact that a lot of people go one time to CO space and when they don't go a second time, they're missing out on, the, on what is considered the easy stuff, which is creating the, the rest of the relationship or the, the finish of the question of the problem into a solution. Yeah. Harry, Harry Lay is a perfect example. He, when he sees someone come to CO space, he gives his heart. But when you get him the second time or third time, he is actually saying, call me outside of CO space. I will help you because he really is about the relationship and giving.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Can't say enough about that guy, and so many others as well.
2: So uh, tell me, do companies need PR agencies, and and if they do, at what point do they need them?
0: You know, that is such a great question because too many go in the wrong direction. They either overspend too soon or they delay too long. Either is a mistake. There is so much that small companies can do themselves. And, in fact, that's the biggest focus of my columns right now is what can you do yourself and how do you do it well before you engage an agency? What do you need the agency for? And um, here's a hint. The biggest first thing that's a high priority or should be for everyone, reputation. I hear more nightmare stories around online reputation than anything else. And so make certain that you are in tune to that, that you're proactively preventing inaccurate reputation problems from occurring. And uh, make certain you're part of the conversation, like you are in this whole issue of photography. This is advancement that needs to happen, but what better place to be in public relations than in the center of the dialogue and help drive it forward. Very well, valuable. T- Far more value
2: than if you were hyping or self-promoting. Awesome. So I, I want to tell you that uh, when I quote unquote sell my DJ service, it's funny, but one of the, the closing uh, pieces, not my closing for the end of the, uh, of the appointment, but when I'm actually saying what's most important for them to decide on is I say, you know what, it's funny, but you're hiring me as a DJ so that in no time you say the event's over. In other words, the time flew by. And it's funny, but if you have a DJ that's horrible, the time will go forever. And people will look at their watch and say, hey, honey, when are we leaving? Uh, this is uh, you just think about time when it's boring and you don't think about time when it's really fun. So my point in sharing that is we are almost done with our program. I can't believe this. This is like one hour snap mm-hmm. done. Snap. Do you see that, Cheryl? So I want to ask you a couple of mm-hmm. quick questions. So who is your mentor and why?
0: Oh, gosh, if I had to name just one, I have so many mentors, but, um, you know, Lauren Solomon, Harry Lay, Jeff McGee. Um, David Corbin. So far, I've named four names that are all CEO space faculty. Those are all mentors to me. Uh, The first employer that I had who brought me into public relations, because I was just going to be a tech writer, I thought, that person, um, Judith Clark was her name. She's passed away now, but profound influence in my life. The reason that I am actually in public relations, so many. That's just a few.
2: I got you. Okay, and what are some of the most valuable gold nuggets that you'd like to share that uh, would be kind of the wit and wisdom for our third segment.
0: Wit and wisdom. One of my favorite is that there are people in the world who watch things happen, people who cause things to happen, and people who stand there and say, what happened? <laughs> so think about it. Which one of those are you? Obviously, we are both people who make things happen. Right. Exactly.
2: And uh, what, is, uh, what are some of the favorite books that you have read? Uh, maybe one that's a recent one.
0: A recent one, my new favorite is everybody writes. I would say that, but the author, Anne Handley, is somebody who teaches people to write more for content marketing than thought leadership, but many of the principles are the same, still apply, and I am loving it. A wall Street journal bestseller, and they said there couldn 't be a best selling writing book, or okay. my own, if anyone is interested, is the Beyond PR. Communicate Like a Champ in the Digital Age. That's a Forbes ebook that you can get pretty quickly just well, online at the Kindle
2: well, store. Well, we are unfortunately out of time, Cheryl, so tell people how they can get a hold of you and your PR agency, and we're going to have you back as a guest.
0: Sounds great. Snap S N A P P C O N N E R S-N-A-P-P-C-O-N-N-E-R.com, or just Google me.
2: And you have a book, and the name of the book is?
0: Beyond PR, Communicate Like a Champ in the Digital Age.
2: Okay. Thank you so much for being our guest. And if you would like to be a guest on Amplified and you have a message that needs to be heard in the world and you are interested in making a positive impact, please contact Amplify at TheUmbrellaSyndicate.com. And we look forward to having you on our show, Amplified. This is Ken Roshan.
1: Gisela Gonzalez.
2: Have a beautiful day.
1: We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplify. Be sure to join Ken Rochon and Gisela Gonzalez again next Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now go get your message heard.